Romans chapter 6 is where we are, and we're actually going to start backing up to chapter 5 just to kind of get a running start at it. We were there a week ago. And um, by the way, if you haven't caught this series yet, this is week 3 in a, and we think what might be a six-week series. And, and when we started this series, we've, we began with just a basic definition of uh, grace being unmerited favor, and really it's unmerited favor of God. If you didn't pick up the, the whole series, you can get it online so you can go back and listen to last week or week before and catch up to today's because they all kind of fit together and it's hard to know where one starts and the other one stops because it's grace. It's hard to get your hands, hard to get your hands around. It's unmerited favor of God. And if we were to put it into one word, it is just simply the word favor. God plays favorites and he has chosen you. And when you grasp the wonder of that, when you get kind of a head full of how good God has been to us, then it takes away some of the bitterness, much of the angst, some of the sense of revenge, uh, many of the needs to get back or retaliate. It takes all that away because we know we have been graced. Now, what happens is this. People come to trust Christ as personal Savior, and we are taken in wonder by the grace that is ours in Christ. And it is a wonder. But it is uncharted turf, too, because you've been keeping your head down, and you, you, don't, want, you, you don't want to be noticed by the principal, right? You just want to get through. You, you don't want the principal to know your name. You're just trying to hide. And... And when you get to the point of grace, you realize he knows everything about me and, and he still graces me. Grace does win every time. So since he knows all about me and he still graces me, now I am free to serve and to love because I, I know I'm totally forgiven. And so some people would say, well, you know, you can't preach too much grace. That's the question. Is there such a thing as too much grace? Could you... Could you, Dave, could you preach so much grace Then people, I mean, if, if you preach too much grace, people are just going to go out and, and, and do who knows what. I mean, think about it. If you preach too much of the goodness of God, too much of the kindness of God, then who knows where people will go and what they'll do. Well, my conclusion is this. I can't preach enough of the goodness and grace of God because it's everywhere I see it. It's all throughout the scripture that he is a good, good father. So I can't, I can't over-preach that peace. And you can't overlive that peace. So when a person says to me, well, you preach too much grace, who knows what people will do, what they're really telling me is not what other people would do, but what they might <laughs> do. Is that making sense? Yes. When people tell me things or tell you things, they're not telling you about other people. They're telling you about themselves, a little bit about what's happening inside of them. Romans chapter 5. Let's back up. You're in chapter 6. Uh, back up to chapter 5 just to get a running start at it. And this will give us a little bit of context for 6. Verse 15. But the gift of God, the gift is not like a trespass. Let me stop at the word gift. The, the gift, Romans chapter Three, all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. Romans 6, the gift of God's eternal life. When he talks about the gift, who's he talking about? He's talking about Christ, our Savior. 
the gift, this is a gift of grace, the gift of God's grace towards us, is not like the trespass or the sin. For if many died by the trespass of one man, one man sins, he pollutes this, the whole generation of sin, and if after that everybody sins. You sin because Adam sinned, then Eve, and Eve sinned, and then every generation sins. And because of that, we just we perpetuate sin, is what he's saying. We live in a sin-immersed world. And in light of that, that, that one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift, there it is again, that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus, overflow to many. So because he makes it right, he overflows it to many. Hope you get that. That's worth the trip right there. Skip down to verse um, 20. The law was brought so that the trespass might increase. In other words, the Old Testament law, all the moral law, ceremonial law, all, all, all the, the civil law was all brought out. Why? So then you could see you knew right from wrong. You knew what the trespass was. Now read that back into the verse again. The law was brought so that the trespass might increase. So we have an awareness of sin. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. In other words, you can't outdo grace. Okay? Verse 21, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness. Get that? What's the product of grace? Righteousness. Get that, because you're going to need that at the back end of the message. The, the whole end result of grace, it results in righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There was a, uh, a guy who decided he would test the limits of setting up the law. Because you know what it is. You don't even know there is a trespass until there is a rule, right? I didn't know it was a rule. So this one man decided, it was his daughter's birthday. <clears throat> he decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if this law and trespass thing really works like my pastor says. So this guy, and he is a man of some means. It's his daughter's birthday. He says, honey, invite the whole block over, all your friends. And um, we're going to have a party. It's going to take all afternoon. And I've rented some inflatables, and I have some uh, games in the yard. There's some ball and some wiffle ball. And all we, we rented some clowns. They're going to come. They're going to do face painting. There's a little show to the side. And uh, we have a swimming pool. The kids tell them to bring their suits. They can swim. And there'll be a little buffet off to the side. And they can eat, come and go and eat. And there'll be cake at the end of the day with some ice cream. We have it all planned for you, just invite your friends. So she does. And they all come and he says to them, we're so delighted that you're here to celebrate our little girl's birthday. And let me just tell you, you're welcome to anywhere in the yard. You can go anywhere you want. You can go <clears throat> play wiffle ball. You can, you can play a little soccer if you'd like. But if you want to do face painting, you may jump in the pool for a while and go to the inflatables. And then when you get hungry, go to the buffet line. He tells this to the children. They're just in awe. He says, there's only one rule. And the one rule is, and he walked over to a little flower bed by the house. He said, see this flower bed? Whatever you do, don't spit in the flower bed. Don't do it. That's the only rule. So he had people he had hired that took all the stations and were monitoring the pool and the, the games and the clowns and all that was being monitored. And then he took his spot, which was in the house at the edge of a curtain by the dining room. And he watched as during the afternoon, every single child came by some point in the afternoon and spit in the flower bed. Some of them spit more than once. 
when he reported it to his pastor, he said, even my own kids spit in the flower bed. They've never even spit in the flower bed before. Why did they do that? Because they were told, you can't. Yeah. And if you're in sales, you know this. When someone's not buying your product, you, probably, you just say to them, you probably don't have the money for it anyway, just go. You know what they'll do? Oh, I do have the money. Here, I'll buy it right now. And they'll, you just do the very thing you, you want them to do, you tell them they can't. And essentially, they will. And now you know why you have such a large freezer in your basement. Yes. Because you were told, oh, you probably can't afford that. So you say, well, I'll show them. So you buy the biggest thing. And you know what? That kind of reverse psychology is exactly what Satan plays on us. It's exactly what the law does. It just reveals our sin. It never really saves us. But it does certainly reveal our sin. Now, <clears throat> When I have a Savior from heaven who visits us with his grace and God says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, he comes to earth and the scriptures say he is full of grace and truth. This is as good as it gets. So could grace ever go too far? And my answer is no, it can't go too far. Why? Because God knows no limit to his love. Hope you get this. He knows no limit to his love. There is no limit or, or off button to his goodness, to his mercy. The old hymn writer put it, his love has no limits, his grace has no measure. His love has no boundaries known unto man. For out of his infinite riches, he gives and he gives and he gives again. We just know no limit to it. So grace can never lose. So why would we limit grace? Why would we say, okay, three strikes and you're out? Why would we ever do that with other people in relationships or even more so with ourselves? We do it for two reasons. Because of our own sin, our own like sensitiveness to it, and we do it too because we, our own soul sees somehow a limit. So I, I want to just chart this for you because here's what happens. Grace is a wonderful thing, but when it gets off track, that's when it gets in, in trouble. So you come to Christ, and you're tooling towards heaven on this path called grace. G-R-A-C-E, grace. And that's the road. But there's a ditch on one side of that road, and that's called the law. And this is just all kinds of rules. Now, it could be Old Testament rules, could be rules from your family life or culture or religious preference or whatever it might be, but it's some kind of rule or ritual. And on the other side is the exact opposite of that, which is you can't tell me what to do. I spit it in the flower bed anytime I want. That's called license. Okay? In other words, I have the card, therefore I can do what I want. Okay, And here's the problem. God has given to us a great uh, amount of, of breadth here in this path of grace. And how do we head towards heaven? We drive basically boinging from one ditch to the other. Don't we? Because we're overreactive people. You see, the gospel off track, it will divert us towards sin every single time. Galatians chapter, let me finish the chart, then we'll go to Galatians, or, uh, Romans 6. But gospel on the skids will mean that we slow it down. And that's what happens when you hit a ditch. 
And that's the law. And about this time, you're saying to yourself, well, you know, I believe in grace, but I think it needs to be hard for Christians. I think it needs to be intense. And you know what? In the world, you'll have persecution. You will have trouble. There will be potholes and bumps and hills and valleys and turns in this path. There will be. You will have trouble in the Christian life. You can be guaranteed it happened with the disciples. It'll happen with you and me. But some would say, no, you need to make faith and grace really hard. Uh, Charles Swindoll asked the question, you know, when, when he's challenged with that thing called easy believism, he, and I love his phrase, he says, what about, believe, about believing Jesus is hard? Why do we have to have easy believism? I don't think there's hard believism either. It's all the grace of God. All the grace of God. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Other versions say, heavens no. Some of them actually put the word God in there. God forbid, some translations say, although the word God isn't there. The idea of this is this cannot happen. You know what that is? That's not grace. When people sin and say, I can do what I want, that's not grace. You know what that is? That's sin. Call it what it is. It's not grace. It's sin. We who have died to Christ, uh, who have died to sin, how can we live to it any longer? In other words, you, you're alive to Christ, you're dead to sin. You don't need to do that anymore. Verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live in a new life. He's drawing a picture saying, this is no different than you being dead and you're coming to new life and it's like you're resurrecting from the dead. This is exactly what Jesus did. And he's saying, that's the kind of life that you live. And um, by the way, I I think this is a huge uh, passage for the identification, not necessarily for baptism, but for identifying with Christ. Galatians chapter 2. I am, if you're taking notes, crucified with Christ. I identify with him so much. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But not I, but Christ who lives in me. In other words, I died to myself. I don't have to sin anymore. I've been set free of that. Grace wins in my life. Therefore, I'm crucified with Christ. I live, but not I. It's Christ who lives in me. If you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Your body is the temple. It's the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, glorify God with your body. So you don't use your body for sinful purposes. Know that the Holy Spirit lives there. Therefore, I want to honor the Lord with my body. So when we sin, that isn't grace, that's sin. Don't cheapen the grace, because that grace is really priceless. But don't allow others either to pressure you into including the law or saying, I can go do exactly whatever I want. Now, um, for the sake of time, let's, take, let's go from uh, chapter 6, 1 to 4. Skip down with me to verse 14. For sin, sin shall no longer be your master. Okay, get that. It's no longer your master. It doesn't mean you won't occasionally sin, but you don't have to be driven by a sin agenda. It is not your master. Because you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, wait, wait, wait. I'm not under the law? No, you're not. 
So I thought we all were under the law. No, we'll come to that in a moment. And maybe another day we'll talk about the relationship of a Christian to the law. The law really reveals to us our need for the Savior. That's what the whole Old Testament's about. Everybody's reaching forward for perfection. They want to sacrifice lambs and they want to live holy, pure lives. And it cannot happen until finally Christ comes. And so the whole culmination of the whole Testament is Jesus is here. Everyone that they've prophesied about is all fulfilled in Christ. So he's saying, I, I don't need to sin. I, it's not my master. And I'm not under the law. And it's not because I have to. It's because I want to. I'm under grace. Verse 15. What shall we say then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. In other words, God forbid. We don't want that to happen. You see, the demonstration of law what it really does is it reveals sin. It establishes the boundaries. That's what law does. And then it lets you know that you and I cannot cut it, that we need a savior. Uh, Galatians chapter two puts it this way. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. In other words, if I could get right before God without Jesus, then Jesus died for no reason. I don't really need Jesus, but you do. So why do you keep going back thinking I can get right with God by obeying the law? That's that performance piece we've talked about before. But what does grace do? Grace gives to us a new kind of mercy, an overflowing sense of kindness, and to know the favor of the Lord. John writes it, for the law gave, came through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus, John 1, 17. So you have to choose, do I want law or do I want grace? But the other ditch on the other side is license, which is really just me wanting to do what I want to do, cloaked in sin, and it's cloaked, and it's an independent spirit, you can't tell me what to do, and it's really what the Bible calls in Corinthians a carnal Christian, because it's rooted in selfishness. And when that happens, then grace gets eaten up because it's really not grace. It is people devouring each other. Listen to Galatians chapter 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Get that? You're called to be free. I'm free. But don't use that freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. Because he says this, if you bite and devour each other, you will destroy each other. It's like two dogs in a dog fight. You will eventually wound each other in such a way that you won't recover. And you've seen that before. So if we're not under the law, let's keep that chart right there. If you're not under the law, where are we? We're under grace. Well, then are there any laws? Yeah, it's the law to love. Let me, let me chart it for you. The whole Old Testament gives to us basically the law. And in the law, you have 39 books of the Old Testament. Exodus begins um, the Ten Commandments. We add another few hundred more, 400 more, and we end up with about 600, some scholars say as many as 633 laws. We can't keep the 10, but we add lots and lots more. There's lots of laws. So you get it from Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy is really the state restatement of the law. So it, that whole culture is deeply rooted, and it, all it does is it shows us the need that we have for the Savior who would eventually come, who would be Christ. 
And this is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies, too, are coming true in Jesus Christ. Sometimes his first coming, sometimes his second. The prophets didn't know oftentimes what they were speaking about. They just knew something would happen. And they didn't know what his kingdom would be like. But they knew something would happen. They knew there would be a Messiah, a Savior, anointed one of God. And that's what the whole Testament, that's all the Old Testament points to is that. So when we come to Christ in faith now, we're under grace. This is beyond the cross. Everyone comes in personal faith and we are saved, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, by grace through faith. That not ourselves, it is the gift of God. Romans, it is the gift of God. All you can do is receive it. The law was something you always earned, you always did. And so, the, it, and um, uh, J. Alvin McLean, his book on grace uh, and the law, says all the Old Testament said was this do, do, do. Sounds like a Sinatra. Dooby, dooby, doo, doesn't it? He says, do, do, do. And what does grace say? Done. Okay? Done. That's grace. Okay? Now, so some of you are saying, well, okay, why does it refer to law? Let me just I'll take a rabbit trail. This is important that you get this, though. Because sometimes you'll see someone and you'll wonder, what are they doing under grace, but they're quoting law, and there are law principles, and sometimes we don't understand. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, I just it, we'll come back to this another day, maybe. Don't lock me in, but I think we'll get to this. I, I think there are different kinds of law in the Old Testament. You have, you have uh, legal law, or what you call civil law. Okay, That's like what we have today, speed limits, a curfews, um, buying, selling, trading, whatever it is. That's civil law. And then you had, in the Old Testament, you had this thing called ceremonial law. And it, it was just a way of them showing uh, a respect for other people and respect for God, perhaps in the house of worship or whatever. That was ceremonial law. And then you had another thing called moral law. And moral law dealt with the very sanctity of things that, that are part of life. Okay? So there are very few of these. There were hundreds of these and hundreds of these, okay? But very few moral uh, issues. Now, sometimes you'll see a person, and they'll go, you know, they'll go to the Supreme Court and stand outside with a placard with a sign that says, we want the law to be this way. And then they, they state a certain thing, and then they quote Leviticus. Have you ever seen this on the news? Just me, okay. So I see that. The problem that I have with that is this. They're quoting a piece from Leviticus and they want a certain position, the court to do a certain thing or the White House to do a certain thing. And I ask myself, yeah, but did you read the rest of the chapter in Leviticus? Because it says you have to wash bulls a certain way and are we going to cut you out of the community because you are wearing poly cotton? In Old Testament ceremonial law, you didn't mix fibers together with clothing. I don't know if you knew that or not. You washed bowls a certain way and they dried a certain way. And it's that way in your house if you want to stay happily married, right? <laughs> Just washed a certain way, dried a certain way, right? Yes. So, so I, I just look at that and say, what is going on here? Because they're just taking a verse that they want to p move forward an agenda that is theirs. And here's the real issue. They actually have 
And this is the side trail that you're, you're going to find, out, like on Wednesday, it's going to wake up to you and go, oh, this is good. But they have an agenda, and, and this is so they want a certain thing to happen, right? And because they want a certain thing to happen, they go to the Bible then, and they get some kind of justification for it. And out of that, then they get a verse. Okay? And so it's exactly opposite of what you're supposed to do. Because it's like me going from doctor to doctor until I get the diagnosis I want. Okay? That's exactly what it is. And, and because this is agenda-driven, it's never clean. In, in science, this is, called dirt, this is called dirty research, actually. When a pharmaceutical company decides, you know, they have this product and they show you where it solves this disease, but all of their research is polluted because they want to sell more product. That's dirty, that's called um, dirty research. It doesn't hold. You have to do it in independent clinics in order for it to, ha- to stand up. And in this particular case, what we need to do is take the scripture and go backwards, and then that sets our agenda. You see the difference? If you go the other way, you will always be agenda-driven, and you will never write this down. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You study to show yourself approved of God because you rightly handle the word of truth. You rightly handle the scriptures. You can't just pick a verse and sing a song and, and then use that. Um, that's, that is out, way out of context. So how do I know? Go backwards now, and this is where the aha moment comes. How do I know what's ceremonial, civil, and, and what's moral code of God? Very simply. If it is moral code of God, it will transcend it will work in any dispensation, in any group of people, in any place in the world. And so what you'll find is the moral law, the stuff that never goes away, you're going to find it in Genesis or Exodus or in Leviticus or Numbers, and you're also going to find it in Psalms or Isaiah, but you're also going to find it in Romans and Ephesians and Colossians. For instance, marriage, family, you see it in Genesis, you see it in Exodus, I see it in Ephesians, right? I see it in Timothy. I see them referring to family models all throughout the scripture. So we know what a family is by designation, by definition. We also know that it transcends. We also know that with the sacredness of life. That is called moral law. Now that's important to get for biblical interpretation purposes because here's what's happening. You could pick and choose, and when you do that, people could control you based upon their writing of that law, or which ones that they think are most important. See, And here's the reality. You could obey every one of those laws, and then all you are is a list keeper. And God is saying, I don't want list keepers. I love you. I want you to love me back. See the difference? I am gracing you. You've had the list, and it doesn't work. Give up the list. And just love me, because I have loved you. He demonstrates his love for us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. You've been graced. You have been graced. And because of that, I know this is a tough message to hear, and it's, it's really a hard one to communicate in some ways, but, but it's so essential that you get this, because if not... You'll always ping back and forth. And you know what it'll be? It'll become for you what we talked about last week, performance Christianity. And you'll always, you'll always have another thing to do to make God happy. 
when really he just wants you to be in love with him. And those things will fall into place when you are in love, when you have the proper heart attitude. Um, you're in Romans. Go back. I, I mentioned we'd, we'd look at for a moment in Galatians 3. I want to look with you just at the relationship of the law in Galatians chapter 3. Um, just scan with me through a number of the verses. Galatians 3, for instance, verse 2. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing? Which was it? Did you, did you receive the Spirit by working hard at it? No. You received the work of the Spirit in your life because you believed Him. Verse 5. So again I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing? Which is it going to be? You have to pick. If you want to be a list maker and live on that side of the track and drive towards heaven in that ditch, go right ahead. It, it's a long, rip, bumpy road, though. Verse 10, skip down to 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse. That's not a happy place to be. Verse 11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. Why? Because he justifies you by faith, not by the works of the law. You could never be good enough. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from under the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. That's that substitution we talked about last week. He became sin for us. As it is written, curses everyone who's hung on a tree. Verse 19, it just keeps going with him talking about the law. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed, who is that? That's Christ, the seed. Capital S, you see it in your Bibles. It's referring to something specific. To whom the promise referred had come. So the law was given until Jesus came. Get that? Let's just suppose you, you tell me I'm going to buy a car. I'm going to buy a, a Corvette. I say, that's good. You say, I'm saving my money. I'm sticking back. Chunk of change every week when I get paid. I say, that's great. I see you in town. You say, I say, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. And you actually... You pull out of your wallet and you say, well, you know, I used to carry pictures of my family, but now I carry pictures of the car I'm going to buy. There's the car. Wow. That's some car. And the next time I see you, you have even more pictures of the car you're going to buy, right? And then the day comes, I hear that double muffler pull into the church lot. I run outside. There you are with your Corvette. And you get out, you slam the door. I go, wow, look at that. And he goes, yeah. And you pull out your wallet and you say, let me show you a picture of it. Do I need to see a picture of it? I'm standing in front of it. No, I, I don't need a picture of it anymore. I've, I'm looking at it right now. You understand, the law was the picture for hundreds of years. And now you have Jesus right in front of you. Why, why do I need the picture anymore? I don't. That's going to hit you on Tuesday or Wednesday, and you're going to realize, oh my goodness, this is worth the trip. Keep reading. Uh, where do we drop off? Let's go to 21. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? No, no, absolutely not. The law is good. Don't think of the law as bad. Some people, you know, poo-poo the Old Testament like it's bad or it's secondary. No, it's not. I preached the Old Testament. We spent 16 weeks in Joshua. 
We've gone through books of the Old Testament, character studies, and why? They teach us some great lessons. And they also teach us we can't make it apart from Christ. So is it opposed to the law? No. For if the law had been given that can impart life, then the righteousness would have certainly come by the law. Verse 22, but scripture has locked up everything under, his, under the control of sin so that what was promised is being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who, who believe. Who believe, that's the key piece. Verse 23, before coming to, uh, of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. Get that, held in custody you had to be there. Locked up until faith. Get that? Locked up until faith. When you came to faith, that was like the unlocking of your heart on the law. And now you are no longer under the law. You're under love. How cool is that? Verse 24. So the law is our, and I love this, is our guardian. Another translation calls it our schoolmaster. Is our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. In Old Testament days, and even in New Testament days of Jesus, they had a person called a schoolmaster. Not necessarily the school teacher, the schoolmaster. And the schoolmaster's job was to pick you up and get you to school. That's what he did. It's the schoolmaster. You understand, the law's job was to pick you up and get you to Jesus. And now that it's done, it's complete. You don't need it anymore. Because you have Jesus now. Now, I want you to think about it this way. Because some of us are really, uh, you're twisted on this thing going, "I, I would feel better driving to heaven with one set of wheels off the berm, in the gravel, somewhere in a ditch, under law. Or, on the other side, with no one telling me what to do. And this is a miserable way to live, either side. Okay? So I, I want to give it to you in a couple word pictures, and then we're going to quit. And thank you for hanging on. This one is a kind of a cranial message with a lot of Bible verses and not a lot of points, and not a lot you can take notes on, and you're going, I, this is hard to untangle. You're right, it is. It's great truth, though, that we need to get our heads wrapped around. But I want you to think of, when you came to Christ in faith, you're married to Christ now, right? And that's, that's our ultimate, at the end of the road here, uh, we become the bride of Christ. So your first husband, um, um, let's just suppose your first husband, in that word, same picture, is the law. And that law does its job, in, but now it's dead. Now you're married to Jesus. But I, this is ridiculous. Not my, not, not my illustration, but it's so good. It's so good. I just want you to think for a moment in human terms. You're married, and um, your husband dies. You married a good guy. He's a nice guy. He cared for you super nice guy, but he died. And lo and behold, later in life, you were minding your own business and doing life, and you fell in love again. And you married another guy. Oh, it was wonderful. And you loved him so very much that you decided one of the ways you're going to live out your love for him is by doing all the things 
that your first husband loved. How do you think that's going to go? So your husband comes home and you say, Honey, I love you so much, I, I made the dinner that Harold loved. Is that going to work for you? I have the evening dinner music on that Harold loved. And afterwards, we're going to go for a drive in the park, and we're going to walk hand in hand through the park just like Harold and I did. What would your husband say? Don't answer. Don't raise your hand. Nothing. How do you suppose that's going to go? It's not going to go well. I am not a marriage therapist, and I know this is not going to end well. You do not please your husband by doing what your previous husband loved. So why is it do we think we can please God today by doing what our previous husband would have liked? You can never do enough, and it would never be the right thing anyway. A crazy illustration, but so appropriate. And by the way, if you married Jesus and now you're still a list keeper, then you'll be in love with the list, and you'll never be in love with the person. And so here's where I'm going to leave you today. What would it look like if you were really in love with Jesus and you said to him, I know you gave your heart to me and you're waiting for me to hear my heart is yours. But what would that be like? If there was a full throttle kind of grace lived out, it would be mercy mindset. It would just be filled with mercy. It'd be filled over driven by kindness. And there would be a favor kind of posture on everything in life. See, could you overdo grace? You cannot. God cannot overdo it. He gave the ultimate. So when it's, you get off of grace, that's sin. It's no longer grace. So get off at that point. But you can't miss when you love Jesus. But what if you married instead to the law? How would it be if I came home and said to Wanda, Honey, the law says, the law says not to commit adultery. So because the law says that, I'm not going to commit adultery. And uh, trust me when I tell you, I want to commit adultery. And I'm thinking about it all the time. But because the law says it, baby, I'm, I'm not going to commit adultery. You know what she'd say? She's going to say, I'm going to make for dinner what I gave to Harold. That's what she's going to say. It's not going to work. That is not going to work. But what if I said to her, again, not my illustration, what if I said to her, when your eyes open in the morning, the sun rises. When your eyes close at night, the stars shine. And when you walk into a room, and it's true with Wanda, you brighten the room. And when you walk in a room, I don't see anybody else with, but you because I am, I am so madly in love with you. And you understand, that's what Jesus has said to you. When you walk into a room, 
My eyes are on you. When you get up in the morning, you're on my mind. When you go to bed at night, I watch over you, and I will never, ever leave you. I will never, ever forsake you. It's a divine romance. And you cannot outspeed this grace when it's a divine romance. Amen? My word to you is, you cannot overjuice this thing called grace if you just love the Lord your God. By the way, you, you understand, Jesus was asked, what's the biggest commandment? You know what it was? It wasn't a list. You know what it was? Love. Love. Let's bow for prayer. And would you stand with me as we pray? It is, Lord, because of your kindness. It is because of your mercy towards us and your favor that we could be supercharged with grace. Thank you. Some of us in the room, as our heads bowed and our eyes closed, need to receive the grace of God in Jesus Christ, and you just need to open your heart now. And if you need someone to pray with at the close of service, Charles Vanessa will be up at the front on the left-hand side. They'd be happy to pray with you. And if you have any prayer need at all, um, financial issues, job changes, kids, parents, decisions you need to make, illness, anything, bring it to the Lord in prayer. And we'd be happy to pray. We'd be honored to pray with you and pray over you. Don't need to hear the whole story. Just need to know enough to pray over you, and we'd be willing to do that. But I don't want to miss out either on the opportunity for you just to be washed over, and I mean that, washed over by the grace of God. For you to hear that when you wake up in the morning, uh, Jesus is looking with tender eyes towards you. And when you fall asleep, he sends his angels to keep guard over you. He is madly in love with you. You have been super graced. Could this ever go too far? I don't know how it could. I honestly don't know how it could. But Lord, we're going to be the people who will be the most gracious people in the world because we know we have been super graced by a very loving, kind, generous, faithful Savior. He fills us with his spirit. And Lord, we, we walk in that spirit. We are, we are aware of what's going on inside of our hearts and lives. Make us aware that we are the people of the grace, not people of the law. And when a critical spirit comes up within us or judgmental or people who want to make rules for us or who want to control us some way or who, who want to somehow box in Christianity or limit it in a certain way, you can't because it's a relationship. We, we can't help but it ooze out because we are so super graced. And when we doubt your goodness and your grace, Lord, may we get our head back in your word and our hearts aligned with you and may we keep our eyes upon Jesus who is really the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy gave his life. That is the super grace. We, can't, we could never give that. May we know, Lord, you love us more than we can grasp. So we will be the gracious people in our communities and in our homes in our businesses, 
we will be the super grace people. We pray this in the name of Christ, our risen Savior. And the church says, amen.